morning, friends. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Happy Resurrection Sunday. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. So I want to start off with uh, first just letting you know what is up on the screen. And that's a little QR code that we have up there every Sunday. And you can just pull out your phone right now. You can scan that QR code. That will take you to today's scripture reading. That will take you to some other little handy buttons to connect with us. If you have a prayer request, if um, you're more interested in maybe the events or the gatherings that we have at Grace Life, you'll find some, uh, some connections there as well. And um, we don't pass a plate here at Grace Life. There's ways to give also through that link. Um, but I wanted to uh, start off with letting you know that every Sunday we have a welcome. And it's something that is a, a, a precious tradition of ours. And before I share it, I just, I promise Tommy, it's a very quick little story, okay? <laughs> very quick, like one minute. So this morning I was trying to staple something. And it always seems like whenever I'm in a hurry, which is 95% of my life when I'm trying to get out the door, things just go wrong. And this stapler would not. For the, for the life of me, I could not get this staple, the staples to go in the correct way. I tried five or six times, and I kept just thinking, okay, let me, you know, open, close, open, close, try again. <clears throat> no matter what, it would not staple. And then I thought, you know what, let me just take a better look at this. And I opened it up, and I guess maybe Tyler or one of my other kids were the, was the last one with the stapler. And the staples were in upside down. So it didn't matter how many times I pumped that thing, it was never going to work. And um, I promise this has something to do with our welcome. But uh, it made me think of a story in the Bible. And I'm just going to read that, that passage really quick for you. I took a picture of it. Let's see. All right. So it's a story, uh, I believe, in, in the book of Luke. And it's about, um, it's about two people who went to church. And we are so excited every Sunday when the Lord brings his people he brings new friends for us to meet. If this is your first time at Grace Life, you could not be more welcome in this place. And we are so excited and we are so privileged that you have come to worship with us. But every Sunday, we, you know, we're thrilled, whoever the Lord brings into his house. And um, not everyone comes into these doors the same and, and anticipating the same, the same experience. And some people come in with a heavy heart and some don't. Um, some people come in with humility, and some don't. And this is a story, it's just a few verses, of, of two men who came into the house of the Lord. And they came in with, uh, with much different outlooks on, uh, on themselves and their identity. And, uh, and here, here's what happened. It said, uh, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And the reason that has to do with our welcome and it has to do with that, my little stapler story, is because I think that sometimes we get it all backwards and upside down, right? 
we think that God is here to meet with the, with the good people, right? The ones who have it all together. The ones who prayed all week and fasted and tithed above and beyond. And we think we're not worthy to come in these doors if we're not coming in with a performance like that. And it's just so interesting that, that Jesus told this story. And he said, both of those men came in, but only one went out forgiven and justified. And so this is, the, this is the welcome that we share with our church every Sunday. And when you think about maybe that, you know, those, those staples being an upside down, it doesn't say to all who are strong and to all who feel uh, rested and ready and raring to go, who, who, all who feel worthy, all who know God cares about them, because why wouldn't he? This is not what our welcome says. So read it along with me, either in your heart. You can read it out loud. But this is how we welcome the people of God every Sunday. And this is how we welcome those who are new and maybe just coming into church for the first time or in a long time. It says, to all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. And these doors could not be more wide to receive you this morning, especially on this Resurrection Sunday. So we, and really quick, a housekeeping note, the uh, children's director wanted to make sure everyone was aware that we do have children's classes today for those who are uh, in preschool. So infant up to five years old. If your child hasn't started kindergarten yet and you would like them to be able to go back and have a little Easter resurrection party, uh, you are free to do that. Even right now, you could go or after uh, this, this time, you can go and take your little kiddos back if that's something you want to do. And so here we go. So today's passage, we are in Matthew, and I think they'll put it up on the screen for us. And it's chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. So we'll read that together now. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And really quick, one last other housekeeping thing. The, <laughs> the copy of the book that we gave out a few months ago, we have some extras. It's called Gentle and Lowly. And it goes, fits right in with this welcome as well. And the little story I shared that it, it's based on the passage that Jesus says, come to me all who are weary 
Learn from me, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So we have a free copy for anyone who has not picked up. If you're a guest, we would love for you to take this book home. It's uh, been an amazing encouragement to so many people, and that's all. Well, good morning, Grace Life Church, and good morning, guest, and good morning, those of you uh, watching from home. We are so thankful that you're here today. My name is Tommy Clayton. I'm the lead pastor of Grace Life Church, and on behalf of uh, our folks, I want to welcome you, as my wife Sarah just did, and I want to just pause and pray before we jump into this message for Resurrection Sunday. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that you've given us to gather today to celebrate the resurrection. We do that every first day of the week, but uniquely right now we do it as this is the day that you rose, Lord. And this represents so many powerful, wonderful, beautiful realities, and I pray you would help us as we just, for the next few moments, dig in and and just look at three of those. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come He would come, Lord, and he would open our eyes to behold the wonders and the power and the beauty of what the resurrection means, what hope it offers us, what truth it tells us, and how life-changing you intend for it to be. Remove any distractions, Lord. Help us to just sit in wonder, sit at your feet, and behold these life-changing truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last year on Resurrection Sunday, I presumed that we would have some, uh, some doubters present. And so I did my best to anticipate and, and just answer some of the typical objections that people have, some doubts about the resurrection. But this year, I'm going to go with my hunch. I typically try to do that after praying and asking God for wisdom. I'm going to go with my hunch that, that most of you, maybe every single one of you here today, already believe in the resurrection. You believe that it happened. That it took place at some level. That is the the central historic event that holds Christianity together. Actually, truly, really, historically took place. It went down. That event happened. It wasn't metaphorical. It wasn't allegorical. It wasn't uh, mythical. It truly happened. The tomb was empty. The body was missing. Women were the primary witnesses of that, which was unheard of in that culture in that day and age. Jesus made multiple appearances to people, over 500 at one time. And when the New Testament was written, some of those people were still alive, so the story could be corroborated. And of course, one of the greatest proofs was that his followers, once cowards, became so courageous that they were willing to give their lives for the truth of the resurrection that they were proclaiming and celebrating. In fact, uh, Pascal, who also came up with the famous wager, he also had this saying. He said, I believe the witnesses whose throats were sliced. And nearly all the disciples suffered martyrdom because of their belief in the resurrection. So, it happened. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. So, let's, let's answer another question this year. Let's answer another question. What does the resurrection actually tell us? 
In other words, why does it matter? Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, that's a little irreverent. Uh, well, let me get even more irreverent. So what? Jesus rose from the grave. So what? How does that hit me here and now in 2022 in Central Florida? What does it matter? Does it matter? Does it make a difference? Or do we all get shoehorned into new clothes and get drugged to church? <laughs> Some of us, okay? Um, that one time of the year. Does it really make a difference? Is it really life-changing? Yes, yes, and yes. And that's really what I want to talk about today. We titled this message, Resurrection Reality Check. That's kind of a tongue twister. Um, the resurrection matters. It's not just a great ending to a sad story. Jesus was not just a nice moral example. And now let's get back to the serious stuff, the daily grind. No. You know, there's multiple accounts. Uh, Sarah read one, Matthew 28. We're going to focus on just part of that today. There are multiple accounts in the New Testament of the very first disciples staring at the empty tomb of Jesus and scratching their heads. They're sad. They're afraid. They're confused. They don't get it. Not fully. Not at first. They don't get it. They're perplexed. In fact, when you read through the four different accounts of the narratives of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to discover the raw, unedited, emotional descriptions of the first witnesses, which it, to me is just proof that the Bible's true. They did the same thing we would have done. At first, they doubted, they didn't believe it, then they were afraid. There were two women in every gospel account that were at the empty tomb first. And I'm just going to read, these are all different words in Greek. In Greek's the language that the New Testament was written in. They're all different words, and they're all very uh, electric. So check out these different words in Greek to, to explain the emotion of the two women that came to the tomb. Alarmed, frightened, afraid perplexed, astonished, and then they marveled. But here's the one that I really want us to focus on in Matthew 28. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Fear and great joy. Those encapsulate all of the raw, unedited emotional responses of the disciples when they're staring at an empty tomb. Are those... Those seem like mutually exclusive emotions, don't they? Can you be greatly afraid and at the same time filled with hope and joy? The answer is, yes, you can. Yes, you can. See, when the reality dawns, they worship. They rejoice. They're astonished. What happens? They know the empty tomb represents something profound and something wonderful. But what? You know, we, my wife and I have six kids together. And I remember way back in 2000. Uh, five. I woke up one morning and I went to the vanity to brush my teeth and there was this weird object uh, there. And it looked like a kid thermometer. I didn't know what it was. It was a pregnancy test. And it was a positive pregnancy test. I've never seen one of those in my life up to that point. And I stood at it perplexed. I was, when I realized what it was, then I was afraid. (laughs) Then I marveled, I was filled, I understand exactly what this is talking about. And you do too, you all have a story. I was filled with great fear, but I was also filled with great joy. I marveled at what that represented, because listen, my life would never be the same, right? And we all have have a story like that. At first, I had an uninformed perspective. And listen, I think there's a lot of people sitting in churches this morning who view the empty tomb the same way that the early disciples of Jesus viewed it, half-informed maybe, in the same way I viewed that pregnancy test, 
with an uninformed perspective. And I want to change that. So we're going to do that today. Here's the three points just for the next few moments. We'll focus on these and then we'll be on our way and have some Easter dinner together, okay? Or lunch. Here we go. Three points. Three resurrection reality checks. Number one, what does the resurrection mean? It means that God is controlling history. That's good news for us. (laughs) Number two, it means that our deepest needs have been met. And number three, it means that restoration is coming. So point number one, God is controlling history, not us, not our enemies, certainly not our circumstances. God is in charge. He's in charge. The cross was not plan A gone astray or gone awry or gone bad. It was not a mistake. It was not a surprise to God. It was not a shock. It wasn't defeat. It was God's perfect, flawless plan coming to fruition, coming to completion. I could say it another way, the, the, the resurrection tells us mission accomplished. Because if we just had an empty cross but not an empty grave, we're all in trouble. We are all in trouble. That's just a tragic ending to, to a, a great beginning of a good story. No, the resurrection tells us that, that God the Father accepted what Jesus did. And it's truly finished. It's over. It's complete. His sacrifice that he offered God was worthy. And it tells us that God is controlling history because Shakespeare said this once, I think in Macbeth. He said, life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. Have you ever felt like that's your life? It's like, what's the point of this? This doesn't make sense. The way things are going, it seems vain. It seems futile. It seems empty. I certainly can't make sense of it. Who's controlling it? Who's driving this crazy train, right? And the resurrection tells us God is. God is at the helm of the train. God is seated on his throne. Nothing takes him by surprise. And you say, well, how how does the resurrection prove that? Because what it took to resurrect the Son of God, if you just think about that, it's staggering. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, he was betrayed. There was bribery, right? One of his disciples abandoned him and forsook him. There was a plot. There was a conspiracy. There There was treachery, deceit. Evil seemed to triumph. It looked like ultimate defeat. It looked like death had won, right? Jesus didn't look like a victor. He looked like a victim. That's what everything looked like. But prophecy tells us that everything was foretold. Everything was predicted. Everything was going according to plan, just not our plan. <laughs> and I can say that for you too. That's what one of the things the resurrection tells us. It's not even the most important thing. That's point two. But it's definitely important is that Everything that's going astray in your life and not going according to plan, that's actually a good thing because sometimes our plan will be terrible things if they came to fruition. Can anybody testify to that? God's got a much better plan than your plan. The resurrection is proof. Every time you think about the resurrection, remind yourself, God's got a plan for my life and it's much better than my plan. He's going to get more glory and things are going to be much better for me in the long run. Maybe not in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to be better for you. Oh my goodness, the unanswered prayers that turn out to be tremendous blessings in my life. And I know you could say the same thing. But it did look like defeat. It looked like evil triumphed. It looked weak. It looked humiliating for Jesus. It looked dark and scary. But it was triumph. Life is not a series of unfortunate events. It's not haphazard. History is not just random events happening. Cruel fate. You hear things like that, and I think sometimes we latch on to those secular narratives it's like well it's fate no it's not fate 
History is linear. God is controlling it. He's directing it to its ultimate course. You know, there's a, there's a verse some people quote at the wrong time. <laughs> but I'm going to quote it today. It's the right time. Matthew, excuse me, Romans 8.28. It says this. And we know for those that love God that all things work together for good. Does it say we hope? We wish? We guess? It says we what? We know. There's certainty. We know that for those that love God, for those who are called according to his purpose... All things work together, not some things, not good things. All things work together. Every tragedy, every defeat, every death, every betrayal that's happened in your life, God says, I've got that. The most evil, what's the most evil act that's ever happened historically? The most evil thing that ever happened. It was a perfect righteous man being executed for, for crimes he didn't commit. That's the worst thing that ever happened, and it also happens to be the best thing that's ever happened for you and for me. So if God can take the worst thing that's ever happened historically, he can take your little thing too. And I'm not belittling pain and tragedy and mistakes. That means whatever it is that's in your past you're ashamed of, the skeleton in your closet, the worst secret you've ever kept, God can turn that into triumph. If you give it to him, give it to him, he'll use it. Resurrection represents new life, life out of death, victory out of what looks like defeat and evil and darkness. There's an entire chapter devoted to the resurrection and our new resurrected bodies, what they're going to be like. It's an astonishing chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. And at the very last of that chapter, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, because of the resurrection and what it means for us, he says, Therefore, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Have you ever done things, even as a Christian, you feel like, man, I was doing the right thing, I was doing the good thing, and it just got squashed, and it seems hopeless, futile, vain, doesn't even matter. You ever feel like that? The resurrection says, don't, don't. Anybody know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is? Okay. During the reign of the Third Reich and Hitler in Germany in the, in the 1940s, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was an evangelical pastor. He was one of the only German pastors that stood against Hitler. In an age where everyone believed that Hitler was Lord, Bonhoeffer said, no, Jesus is Lord. And I'm not, I'm not bowing down to all these demands he's making to the churches in Germany. So he stood for truth. He stood for the gospel. He did all he could to resist Hitler. And he was captured, he was put on trial, he was put in prison, he was sentenced, and he was sent to the gallows in 1945. I want to read. Now, if anybody would have been tempted to think, none of that even mattered. None of the resistance mattered. I should have just went with the flow. I'd be alive. He was separated from his fiancée. Terrible, terrible time for him. But I want to read to you something. While being led away on April 9, 1945, he turned to his fellow prisoner pain best and he said this is the end but for me this is the beginning of life and there was a concentration camp medical doctor who watched everything that that Dietrich Bonhoeffer did and this is his account check this out I want to read this to you the prisoners were all taken from their cells and the verdicts of court-martial were read out to them through the half-open door in one room of the huts I saw pastor Bonhoeffer 
before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. Now he's about to die, and he knows that. What would be the last thing you'd be doing before you went? I feel like I would be kicking, screaming, gouging out eyes, biting, <laughs> cursing. Just be, can I be real in here today? He was kneeling on the floor, fervently praying to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer. I mean, I even read that and I think, how courteous. His executioners were waiting. He said a, he said a brief prayer. I would have been like, oh, I get a prayer? Oh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for 24 hours. <laughs> he said a brief prayer because he'd done all his praying in the, in, in the prison, right? And then he climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued in a few seconds. And then the doctor says this. In the almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God and composed. And then check this out. Three weeks later, Germany surrendered. And Hitler killed himself. Three weeks. You know what I would have been thinking if I were Dietrich Bonhoeffer's fiance? Really? Really? Three weeks. You couldn't... Do some of that, God? Man, God sure wastes a lot of good power, doesn't he? You ever, you ever think that? The resurrection says, oh no, my friend. God's controlling history. Meticulously, sovereignly, wisely. He's good, he's sovereign, he's wise. Those are three legs of a stool. And if you kick one of those out, you're going to fall over. He's sovereign. Okay, so he's got all this power? Yeah. Can I trust him? Yes, he's good. Okay, I can trust him. Does he know what he's doing? Yes, he's wise. God is controlling history, and trust, trust me when I tell you we want him controlling history. We want him in the cockpit, right? If Jesus is your co-pilot, you're in the wrong chair, okay? <laughs> anyway, things looked out of control. They looked dark. They looked defeated, but they weren't. There were two disciples on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, and they still didn't get it. And you can you remember this in Luke 24, Jesus made a, an egg incognito appearance and he's walking with them they don't know who he is he hasn't revealed himself and he's listening to them talk and they're sad they don't get it they didn't believe what he'd been teaching them for three years and he asked them what's wrong and they said are you the only stranger here that hasn't heard what happened this man this man jesus we thought we hoped he was the messiah but he's dead he's gone and then jesus said this oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He's saying, don't you get it? This was God's plan all along. This is not the end. This is the beginning. That's why Easter is such good news. It's a reminder to us. No matter what has tanked in your life, what mistakes, what sins, how dark, how humiliating, how off the tracks, God can use it and will use it. Give it to him. He's controlling history. He's controlling your history. Easter is not whistling in the dark. It's not just a blind, optimistic way of living your life. It's not ignoring reality. It's staring reality right in the face, living under the shadow of a cancer diagnosis or another pandemic or whatever it is, or a world war or midterm elections. What, what is it that just scares you to death? The resurrection says you can stare that in the face with a smile and with confidence and say, I don't care what it is. I'm on his side. I'm, I'm with him. 
Okay, point two. Point number two. Our deepest needs, our deepest needs have been met. The claim of Jesus' bodily resurrection, of course, is central to the gospel message. Without a risen Savior, Jesus' claims to be God's Son would be empty, and the gospel's boast to be the power of God for salvation would be false. We would be hopeless. We would be unforgiven. We would be guilty. I, wanna, I, want, to, uh, I want you to see this passage. Again, this is that long chapter. We're only going to read just a couple of verses here about the resurrection. Paul is writing to a church, and they're not so sure that there's a resurrection coming, and they're not so sure that Jesus rose from the grave. I don't know how you could hold those two errors and still function as a church, but they were. And Paul writes them, and he says, oh, my goodness, my friends, listen. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins now he'll go on to say but of course christ did rise from the grave and there will be a resurrection but i want to focus on those on those three words at the end in your sins in your sins that is your and that's our worst nightmare come true do you know what those words mean that's the worst reality you could ever face is to still be in your sins that means you are under the curse of god i know we don't like to use words that are scary and dark but the bible uses a term called wrath the wrath of god that's a scary word people don't want to talk about it today but that's the reality that the bible holds out for people who have not confessed their sin repented turned from their sin and trusted jesus christ as their savior and their lord we love john three sixteen. anybody here know what john three sixteen says for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him, whoever, whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But just a couple of verses later, just a couple of verses later, there's a verse that says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So what does it mean to be in your sins? It means you're on your own. It means you're on your own, you're under You're under the curse of living the best life that you can, trying to live up to God's commandments, and then offering that to Him at the end. How many people want to offer your life to God as payment for your sins? And say, that's enough, isn't it? There's a movie called Groundhog Day that every year I watch in February, and it's about a man named Phil Connors, and he keeps repeating the same day over and over and over, and he can never get it right. Never get it right, because he's living it selfishly for himself. Finally, he figures it out. Oh, this is not about me at all. I'm supposed to serve other people. So he changes somebody's tire. He saves the mayor from choking. He gives WrestleMania tickets to a newlywed couple. He saves a cat from a tree. He does all this stuff. And then finally, he gets it right. It takes him like, I don't know, how many tens of thousands of days to get one day perfect, right? Uh, in reality, that's, that's a comedy. Because think about it. Have you, has anybody in here ever lived the perfect day? I've never lived the perfect five minutes. I've tried. Before I have my first cup of coffee, I've ruined my day. (laughs) And usually ruined the day of the people around me. Uh, But if you're in your sins, that's your only hope. Is is try harder, do better, suck it up, and offer your performance to God. No, 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 my friends. The resurrection says you can forget that. The only performance, the only record that God is going to accept is the record that Jesus Christ offered him. 
He was God's spotless lamb. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He'd never sinned in word and thought and deed. And Jesus offers you and me his perfect, righteous life. Apart from the resurrection, you can offer God your righteousness. And there's only one problem with it. He ain't going to accept it. <laughs> That's our Kansan talk. It ain't going to work, friends. He ain't going to accept it. If you're going to come to God on his terms, you better have something perfect in your hands. And Jesus says, here you go. Here's my life. I'll trade places with you. I'll take your condemnation, your curse, your guilt, and I'll take God's wrath. I'll absorb all of God's anger, his righteous indignation and wrath that you deserve for your sins, and I'll give you my righteousness, and you don't have to suffer any of God's wrath. You get his blessing. You get his forgiveness. That's point two. That's your deepest need. What is your deepest need? You need righteousness. You need forgiveness. You need to be adopted. You need to be justified. You need to be declared blameless. And the resurrection tells us all of that has been accomplished through Jesus. But you've got to go to him and ask him for it. Right? Like the story my wife read earlier. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One of them offered his record. <laughs> and God said, away from my presence. And the other one said, I've got nothing to offer you but humility. Lord, I'm a, I'm a failure. I'm a fraud. I'm a sinner. I have no hope apart from you. And God said, come on in. You can get in on this. Anybody can get in on this. That's what the gospel says in layman's terms. Anybody. Are you thirsty? Are you weary? Are you sinful? Are you guilty? Then God says, you're right. You meet the, you meet the qualifications. You meet the conditions. That is our deepest need being met. In fact, I, I would compare... I would compare the resurrection to a receipt. Have you guys ever been into the Orange City Walmart? I'm not throwing shade on Orange City. I go there all the time. There's this one guy there that works there, and it's his life mission to catch people who have made big purchases, and they're trying to leave, uh, and they don't have the receipt. He's going to be right there. He's going to get you. I'm telling you, you go to Orange City and buy a cooler and try to get out without your receipt. He's going to open it and look in it, and he's going he's to demand you give your receipt. That's, I'm kind of, par even when I've done everything right, I'm paranoid when I'm there and I'm leaving. I could buy a stick of gum and I'm looking for my receipt when I walk out the door because that guy's there, he's going to get me. The resurrection is, is God's receipt. How do, we, how do we know that Jesus was enough and he did enough and he paid enough and that God accepted it? The resurrection is the receipt. If you don't have that, I want to tell you right now, you're living a very paranoid way of life. Give me the resurrection. I'm going to put it in my pocket, front and back. I'm going to make copies. I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to have it ready when I walk out and go, here it is, buddy. Open the cooler. Look in there. I'm legit. I'm legit. <laughs> the resurrection is our receipt. Our deepest needs have been met. If you don't have that, this is what you have to look forward to. I know, I know. It's a little bit graphic. But look, it's, uh, you know what? The resurrection has turned, has turned the prison bus into the limo. It, it, of death, it has, it has turned an executioner into a gardener. All because of Christ. All because of what he accomplished on our behalf. Now, here's the last point. This is a fun one. And, and listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be transparent, totally open here. Here, let me get that off. So you, here we go. <laughs> totally open here. I do not think that Christians talk enough, think enough, celebrate what I'm about to tell you enough. Do you know what the resurrection tells us? Oh, this is good. It tells you restoration's coming. Restoration is coming. This is a problem that Westerners have. We are somehow still attached to this platonic idea that everything material is bad. Materialism is bad, but I'm not using that word. 
Everything physical, tangible, that you can touch, see, handle, and taste is bad. And that Christianity means one day we're going to go into heaven and we're going to be like fat, chubby angels. And we're going to float around in wispy, wispy clouds, uh, this ethereal existence. And we're going to have an eternal sing-along in the sky. And that's heaven. Anybody brought up to think that heaven's just like the back of a Hallmark card? A lot of people brought up, listen, as a kid, and it was nobody's fault but mine. I had a Bible, too. I just misunderstood. Um, developing an appetite for that, getting excited, anticipating that was like a, was trying to develop an appetite for gravel. I just couldn't do it. And you say, well, pastor, we get it. Come on. We're more civilized. We know the Bible. This is 2022. Can I show you the very first image that comes up when you Google heaven? It's that. Now, that's pretty. That's cool. I, I love a, a bright, sunshiny day like that. But uh, find that image for heaven in the Bible. You won't find it. You won't. It's not there. The resurrection. Listen, Jesus did not float out of an empty tomb. What did he do? He walked. He had a body. A physical, tangible body. And it was better than it was before. He still had the scars. Jesus said this. He said, behold, I make all things, what? New. I make all things new. That means not just our bodies. We're going to get a new body one day. How many people want a new body? All right, listen, if you don't want a new body, that's okay. Hold out about 50 more years and then come talk to me. Okay? Because I was there. I was in my 20s. Man, this is awesome. And now it's like, please, God. <laughs> We're broken. Even the world will tell you, second law of thermodynamics. Right? You live in Florida. You know it. Leave your shiny new car out in the sun or drive to the beach. Uh, everything breaks down and rust and gets destroyed and gets eaten away. And clothes fade. Glory fades. We're going to get brand new bodies one day, but that's not all. <laughs> what else you got for them, Johnny? Oh, that's not all. We're going to get a new planet. It's going to be completely restored. Now, we don't think about that. We think somehow, oh, is that okay to think? Yeah, the Bible says that. It says the lamb will lay down with the lion or the wolf. Anybody ever seen that happen? Have you ever seen a wolf lay down with a lamb? Maybe for about two seconds, Right? So why does the Bible talk that way? It's trying to present us this reality that's going to be so shocking, so surprising, so amazing, so wonderful. Romans 8 talks about the earth groans right now. You know the earth groans. It's fallen. It's under a curse. It's under decay. Things don't work. In heaven, there's going to be three things you'll never see. A cemetery, a hospital, and a prison. Are you ready for those things to go away? I am. You're never going to see any of those in heaven. There's not going to be any first response emergency personnel employed in heaven. There'll be other things for them to do. We're not going to need them anymore. When you drive home today, take, take stock around you. Or when you go shopping at Walmart, look at all the things you have to buy 50 replicas of. And just think, one day I'm not going to need any of this stuff anymore. I'm going to have a new body. I'm going to be on a new restored planet. Because so often we just think of, we think the resurrection just represents I've been forgiven. And hallelujah, praise God, that was point two, we are, we have been forgiven. But listen, that's not all God offers people who trust him. Not only do you just have a renewed and restored soul, you have a restored body on a restored planet. I'm going to do something I don't typically do. I want you to get excited about what's to come. Because when, when Jesus said, behold, I make all things new, he didn't say I make all things better or I make some things new. One year, Sarah and I were looking for a, a new mattress 
Don't ever shop for a mattress that's used. Just trust me. Talk to me afterwards. We found some of the funniest ads that said, Mattress, like new, slight smell of urine. I'm just being honest. I think some people's view of heaven could very easily be, ah, it'll be okay. I mean, if my dog's there, kind of idea. Look, let me show you some pictures. See, we think, we think that is heaven, but somehow we don't think that could be heaven. I don't know, Pastor, that's just wrong. What's wrong about that? Does the appetizer not taste good? There's going to be a, a marriage supper of the lamb. We're going to be in heaven. There's going to be beauty. There's going to be diversity. There's going to be harmony. Everything... That was in the Garden of Eden that didn't work out. It's going to be back to that, but better. The Bible says that the New Jerusalem is coming down from heaven, and it's a holy city. You don't ever hear those two words together down here. Holy city. Usually cities are filled with crime, violence, poverty, all kinds of vile stuff I can't even talk about. But heaven's going to be a city. You say, why is that? Because people are going to be there, and we're going to be together. We're going to be united, and we're going to be under a good government. Jesus Christ is going to be the millennial king. He's going to be seated on his throne, and he's going to make all things new, and he's going to restore everything. And the things that you can taste and handle and touch will make the greatest pleasurable sensation that you've had here on this fallen earth evaporate in the first five seconds you've been in heaven. Anybody want to go? I want to go. But the resurrection tells us it's coming. It's coming. Everything's going to be restored. Everything. So here's... I, don't, I look at that and I get excited and I think, and that's nothing. That's a fallen version of what we're going to see. You can see pictures like this or like that or that or that or that or that or that. Not this, not that, not that. Who's ready? He's going to restore everything. Broken bodies will be restored. Broken hearts will be restored. Sinful, corrupt hearts will be cleansed and atoned for. And Jesus is going to make every single thing new that was broken. And we're going to be together with him forever. I think we've done a decent job of talking about creation, fall, redemption. We just don't get to the restoration part. That's the best part of the story of Christianity. And I think we in the West have somehow that's escaped us. We feel ashamed talking about it. We blush. God doesn't want you to blush. I think Satan wants Christians to just think of that. One day, we're going to have an eternal sing-along in the, in the sky. It's like, do I have to go? <laughs> that sounds blasphemous to say that, but that's what Satan wants you to think. He wants that image in your mind. Not that or that. So, Jesus is going, going to make all things new. And we are going to be together physically in a brand new resurrected body. I have all these illustrations in my mind, but, but we, don't, we don't have time for it. it. It would be like Alexander Graham Bell. You remember the first telephone that was invented? You're like, what's my resurrected body going to be like? And this is the argument of 1 Corinthians 15. It would be like somebody handing Alexander Graham Bell a new iPhone. What's the latest, young people? 13? XRSTB, whatever. <laughs> handing that to him and say, hey, look at this telephone. He's like, what the heck is this? That's what we're going to think when we get our new body. It's like, how does the thing work? <laughs> Can he fly? I don't know. Read the, read the Gospels. Whenever Jesus came back in his resurrected form, he walked through locked doors. He suddenly disappeared and then appeared on a road. I don't know, guys. I'm looking forward to it. 
We may, we, may, we may get surprises in heaven, but there will be no disappointments. And all of that is offered because Jesus paid for all of that. He secured all that. We don't deserve it. You and I didn't do a thing. All we did was the sinning, and Jesus did the saving. So let me close with this. You say, how is that possible? How could we get a new creation? How could death go away and defeat go away and wrath go away because Jesus Christ came and suffered the reverse of all of that? We have a victory song. It's, it's death is swallowed up in victory, right? How, how's that possible? How can Christians taunt death and say, death, do your worst. The lower you lay me, the higher he'll raise. How can we say that? Because, because Jesus Christ was crushed for us. He walked into the very jaws of death and was swallowed up. The Bible says at noon, at Calvary, the sun went dark. Why? Because God's son was being crushed by his father. It was almost as if creation couldn't bear to watch what was going to happen. And the scariest, most haunting words that ever came from human lips came out. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what it cost Jesus for all three of these resurrection realities. It cost him everything. He was crushed. He was broken. He was swallowed up. But the resurrection tells us he didn't stay dead. We tell our kids that. He, walked, he went to the grave. Did he stay there? No, celebration, victory, atonement. And so here's what I want to leave you with. Thank you guys for being so patient. I know this is a longer Easter message. Here's what I'll leave you with. How can you get in on this? How can you get in on this? You can come broken and humble and honest and open to Jesus and say, Lord, will you please forgive me? I am a desperate, hopeless sinner. I'm guilty. I'm condemned. I have nothing to offer you. But will you, will you cleanse me? Will you receive me? Will you take my broken life, my broken heart? Will you make me new? I confess my, my, my sin to you. Receive me. The Bible says that Jesus will never turn a repentant sinner away. Have you came to him? Do you have this hope that we're talking about? You can. You can have it this morning. You can have it right now. You don't have to walk down an aisle or repeat a prayer after anybody or sign a card. You can do it right now. You can say, Lord, please. Please, Jesus, forgive me. And then come and tell one of us about it. We'll walk you through the steps to get ready for baptism and to, sh to share your faith and to publicly identify with Jesus. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. We do this every service. We have something called a song of reflection, a Selah song, where we just want everybody to, you can sit in your chair and you can maybe quietly we're going to have a song, so not too quietly. You can reflect on what you've heard. And we've got a prayer team in the back. If you just want to go and talk to somebody about some of the stuff that you've just heard, you say, how can I be sure? How can I know for sure that I'm a Christian? How can I know that God will hear my prayer and he'll forgive me? Will you just please, before you leave today, make your way back there. Grab me, grab one of our greeters, our prayer team members. We would love to talk with you. We would love the opportunity to share more with you. Thank you for coming today. Let me, let me close in prayer, and then Kyle's going to going to sing some music for us and, and our prayer team is in the back lord thank you so much that we have these these amazing and powerful hope that comes from the gospel that comes from the resurrection that jesus paid it all it is finished he rose from the grave he walked out of the tomb with a new resurrected restored body and we have that same hope lord because of jesus and you want us to have that hope, Lord, and, and we can have it this very morning. I pray this will be the day for some people in this building watching from home that things change for them. Christianity is not following a set of 
principles. Uh, no pastor or organization can forgive people's sins. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's saying, Lord, every leaf I've tried to turn over, tanked. It's, it's bringing our broken hearts, our sins, our mistakes, our past, our worst fears. It's bringing them to your feet and saying, Lord, take this. Cleanse me. I can't do this anymore. I want hope. I want renewal. I want forgiveness. I want restoration. I want you. And receive them. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What a day that will be, amen. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. There'll be peace forevermore on that happy golden shore what a day glorious day that will be what a day that will be when my jesus i shall see and i look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be there'll be no sorrow there no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more parting over there, and forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. And what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. What a day, glorious day that will be. Amen, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord, and we look forward to the day when you will restore all things, Father. 
Let us remember that this life and these struggles are only temporary, Lord, but one day you will be returning on clouds of glory and you will restore everything to its rightful place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. Praise God. I just have a couple of quick announcements for us before we depart. Um, thanks again for joining us. It was an incredible time of worship, and all praise be to God. Um, a couple of announcements. First, if you ever serve back in the kids, if you are one of our kids' ambassadors, we have a meeting for all of you coming up on May the 1st. It, it'll be right after the service, and we'll have a lunch provided. So please mark that on your calendars, May the 1st, for kids' ambassadors. We'll have a quick meeting um, a lot of it is just to say thank you for what you do, to uh, give you some food, and then to tell you about some things coming up as well. So May 1st, after church, lunch provided. Also, um, for our student ministry, this is for middle school and high schoolers, 6th through 12th grade. Our next meeting will also be May 1st in the evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Um, again, in our church center phone app, you can scan the QR code to get the details on that, again, May the 1st, 6 to 8 p.m., 6th through 12th grade. And lastly, um, if you want to connect further with Grace Life, um, honestly, and this might be controversial, but maybe the best way to live um, the Christian life is to join a community group. Um, obviously, what we do here on Sunday mornings is irreplaceable. It's incredible hearing the preaching of God, God's Word. But the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. So if you want to join with a group of people to be open and honest, to have friends, to eat together, to fellowship together and dig deeper into God's word and what things like the resurrection mean for us, join a community group. We have them all across um, the Quad City area, Deland, Orange City, Deltona. Um, again, more information in the Church Center app. And then two more things really quickly. Um, we have a couple of copies of this book. It's called Gentle and Lowly. We have them available for free on your way out in the lobby. Um, I can't think of a better non-Bible introduction to who Jesus is than this book right here. It's incredible. Um, so please feel free. Pick one up on your way out. And lastly, if you're tired of all this talk about an app on the phone, if you're not a very techie person and you want to connect with us, we have real physical cards that you can use. No shame. Please use them. Uh, you can find them. There's a wooden box right out of these doors. It's about yay high. These cards will be on top of them. Feel free to, if you want to connect with us, share your information. If you just have a prayer request, anything, leave it on this card, drop it in that box, and we will reach out to you. All right, as we read a welcome each week. We also read a charge each week um, to send us off on our way to remind us that uh, our Christian life is not limited to this room right here, but we are witnesses all throughout the week. So if you would, please stand with me and we will read this charge together. I am a witness. I've been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. Blessings. Blessings.